0: Welcome Central Works Script Club listeners. Today we're speaking with playwright Nicole Perizzo about her play, The Human Ounce. You can download the script for reading on the Central Works website, centralworks.org. The Human Ounce opened Central Works Theater's 2020 season in Berkeley, California. Nicole's previous play, Blue Sky Over Grain received a staged reading at Berkeley Rep School of Theater and was a finalist for Marin Theater Company's Sky Cooper New Play Prize. Her short play, Paradoxical Undressing, was runner-up for the long-running San Francisco Playground series. Nicole's writing has been published by Earth in Focus Editions, Lockhorn Press, University of California, and a number of literary and science journals. She has been a finalist for the Disquiet Literary Award and was an early winner of the Bill Holm Witness Prize from Writers Rising Up. Originally from Montreal, Nicole now lives and writes in the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm Patricia Milton, resident playwright at Central Works And I'm pleased to welcome Nicole. Welcome, Nicole. It's great to talk with you today. Hi, Patricia.
1: It's great to talk with you.
0: First off, Nicole, I'm curious about how you became a writer.
1: I think like many writers, I have memories of starting very young as a form of escape, And at the time, which would be from about age seven into my late teens, I was writing the ghastliest short stories. (laughs) And I don't mean ghastly in terms of content, but the writing was just awful, but I loved it. And it took me out of myself. And as I matured and began to need to make a living, I set aside the writing, had countless jobs, and eventually came to California where I started working in the context of organizations like Whole Earth Magazine as a senior editor and Berkeley's Lawrence Hall of Science as a senior editor and writer. And I began to get into my groove again for writing. That launched me into freelancing. I then took a course in playwriting at the Berkeley Rep School of Theater and an entire new world was opened up to me. I realized that playwriting can take a story, to completely different places and manifested in completely different ways from any other form of writing. So that was extremely exciting and that's what got me started writing plays.
0: Wonderful. You write plays, you write lyric essays, and I guess I have the question about what is the hook that gets a new piece of writing started for you?
1: Good question, and I don't know if it's the same for all writers, but really it's it's like a rush of emotion about something that I experience unexpectedly. I trip on a piece of information, news, a person, a biography, and something inside goes, whoa, this wants exploring. And once that's happened, Very quickly, the next question becomes, all right, then, what form does this want to take? Is this best expressed in poetry? Is it a lyric essay? Is it a play? And the way in which I decide whether to make it a play or not is whether it's important that it be mounted in 3D, so to speak. Many things lend themselves to being flat on paper and read and absorbed that way, but some stories just need to be in a person's face and that's how i choose whether to make it a play or something else and in the case of the human ounce of course it really needed to be a visible intellectual tug of war between opposing factions
0: i think that's so true and with the human ounce it's kind of the embodiment of the argument and the embodiment of the questions that you pose in that play that come to life
1: It's a wonderful word embodiment. We don't think about the roots of words anymore, but this is the making in three dimensions of the body, something that is in some other form. Mm -hmm. So I love that you use that word.
0: Yeah. That's why I love theater. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So you wrote this play at the end of the Central Works Writers Workshop, and that's a 12 week workshop where we have eight writers and you bring in pages and then at the very end of the workshop, each person has two hours to present what they've written during the 12 week period of time. So can you talk a little bit about how the workshop worked for you and for the human ounce?
1: (laughs) I'm happy to, although it's an anomaly. I availed myself of the workshop in the usual way in that I started on a play which was completely different. It was a grand scale historical play set in the Second World War. I brought in pages, the wonderful cohort of playwrights did table reads with me. One week before I was due to present to the group, something hit me from above, flowerpot I don't know what and said, no, 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 no. That's not the play you want to write. This is what you want to write right now. And so I switched gears. And in the course of a week, I put something together. I took it in holding my breath, presented it to the group, which gave it a wonderful, thoughtful read. And we discussed it and it clicked. So I availed myself of all of the comforts of having a cohort of people who go through the same process, the intelligence of that group of people who understand the writing and the process, and the feedback on something that had been created pretty spontaneously was radically different from what I'd started with, but which seemed to capture the moment and some kind of a wave in me and also on the planet. And that's how The Human Outs came out of the Central Works Writers' Workshop.
0: I remember it well. It captured our imaginations at the time as well. We were all kind of flabbergasted at this play that had just blossomed seemingly overnight.
1: (laughs) I I was flabbergasted too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, Nicole, this play, The Human Ounce, seems like a moral play to me. And I wonder if morality and character are frequent topics for you, and if there are examples in your other works where you deal with that topic.
1: Mm, By moral play, we're not talking about imposing morals or ascertaining what morals are, but really offering up the question of morality. The play is intended to raise questions rather than offer answers, Mm -hmm. but it is absolutely a question about personal, ethics, morals, societal, ethics and morals, what constitutes a moral choice, and if we can even identify that, is the answer to a moral or ethical dilemma the same for everyone? What if it comes down to repugnant behavior? What about an abuser, a bigot, anyone whose behavior is condemnable? By whom? How do we know that what we've learned about somebody's behavior is true? How credible and multiple do the sources need to be, for example? Mm -hmm. And are there circumstances, and this is very true to the play, are there circumstances in which it's less important to follow your ethic or it can be set aside for some exigent reason? And maybe most saliently, who gets to make that decision? Does each person deserve the right to make his or her own decision? Or does an institution get to impose its moral ethic on a population?
0: All very good questions.
1: And that is the idea of the play, to Mm -hmm. pose those questions and to leave people asking themselves.
0: How about other works that you have written? Have they dealt with the same kind of idea?
1: If you think of it as about the contract we make with ourselves and with others it is a theme that seems to emerge in my writing in particular in the human ounce and in my play blue sky over grain for example which is set in a nearly deserted ukrainian village shortly after chernobyl and it asks what constitutes a society what is the ineffable social compact among people well in its way it's asking comparable or parallel questions so yeah i guess it's uppermost in my mind
0: that's actually my favorite kind of play is plays that deal with ethical decisions and characters struggling with those and it seems like as a nation we're currently struggling with ethics morals and justice so i think there will probably be a number of works of art that come out of this current situation that we're in as well.
1: I think there's no doubt. I'm I'm sure many of them are gestating right now. Some are being written, we know. We know mm-hmm. artwork has already surfaced. And my only concern, I'm delighted that the world is exploding with recognition, but my concern is that it is a titular recognition at this point. And is this going to resolve in anything tangible? And so I feel a little bit like hanging back, not working on anything right now, and thinking and watching and listening and seeing if I have a voice to lend to this era Mm -hmm. that would be of value.
0: Certainly something to think about. We have a question from Terry who wasn't able to see a performance. And Terry asked that you talk a bit about the significance of the costumes and other aspects of the play. For example, the painting at the heart of the conflict is a landscape. So anything you'd like to Mm -hmm. share about the kinds of decisions made around costuming, set design, and so on?
1: Well, what's lovely about that question is that it recognizes in its essence how many things go into making a play a play. It's not just a piece of writing. It's not just a piece of acting or of directing. It is the staging of the play, the costuming for the play, the music, the soundscape for the play. All these things work to create the whole. And so when it comes to costuming, I must say, that's really the remit and and the brainchild of a theater's costume designer. And in our case, that was Tammy Berlin And a designer who is thinking about what actors are going to wear is juggling a lot of thoughts. He or she is thinking about what the play is trying to say and how that could be reflected in the costumes. He or she is thinking about how much or little or gymnastically are the actors going to have to move in those costumes. I think about your play, Patricia, the Victorian Ladies Detective Collective.
0: Also Tammy's work.
1: Yep, Yep. gorgeous costumes, Victorian era, but probably would not have accommodated a trapeze act. Mm -hmm. So each of those decisions goes into a designer's thinking process. And what comes out on stage is the amalgamation of all of those considerations. And in the case of our play, The Human Ounce, there are three characters. And not speaking for Tammy, but I think what she had in mind was illuminating right off the bat, visually, the professional status of the two women in the play. The third character, Dodge, is represented by costume very simply. The painting needed to be a neutral subject so that the emphasis remained on the artist, not the content of the painting, so it could just as easily have been a still life, for example, anything that didn't raise hackles right off the bat for being somehow skewed one way or another in terms of professionalism or appropriateness, and that is true, too, of what a portrait might have done. So it might have muddled what might be objectionable about the painting,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: on a pragmatic level, Of course, a theater always has to consider what's available for use, what's copyright-free, what's within the budget. And so all those things put together landed us with this particular landscape.
0: Great. Well, I hope that answers Terry's question. Terry wrote, I understand from the reviews the actors' performances were nuanced rather than strident. What sort of direction were the actors given, and how was the play staged so that it wasn't static?
1: Well, I'm delighted to echo that I don't think it was strident, in the least. (laughs) But uh, it's an interesting question in that it is a talky play. It is a heads-up play, as they say. And it was important that it be given, as you said earlier, embodiment, that it be made to move so that we weren't just looking at two talking heads so that all the nuance of the character's body language, the turn of the head, the look in the eye, accompanied the language. When it comes to direction specifically, that's really about the play's director. The director directs the play, Mm -hmm. and that director has developed his or her own version for how to make manifest the core of the story. Uh, So a director may consult the playwright if it looks as if the intent of a scene or a piece of dialogue isn't clear in the script, but otherwise it's his or her vision that governs the shape of the acting and the staging. And our director, Gary Graves, did something quite remarkable, something I'm sure he does all the time but something I was privy to and that was to engage the actors directly about what they felt was happening in any given moment, which attests to their ability to read the scene and read the script and that helped them clarify and crystallize their choices. Uh, If there was confusion, Gary might contextualize the moment for them as guidance but it was really a marriage of all the talents in that room facilitated and directed by the director.
0: It's a Mm. very idiosyncratic space and you do have to keep people moving because if they stand in one spot for very long, great swaths of the audience can't see their face. That's true. So, Gary, I feel is very adept at looking at a script and seeing where some motivation to move falls. And then, of course, the actors, too, are internally feeling where their character might move next. That's Uh,
1: absolutely true. The, The layout of the space is such that there are nooks and corners. And so the play needs to be on the move all the time. Mm -hmm. At least it settles for moments, but to be fair to each section, literally each section of the audience, principal characters, secondary and tertiary characters need to be brought to the fore and then allowed to recede in such a way that everybody can see them. So that's an excellent point.
0: Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about how you learned during rehearsal how the play worked. And I'm particularly interested in the actors, what they brought. I had noticed they were so prepared.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: Before you even began.
1: You've unleashed me because (laughs) what I learned first and foremost was how incredibly smart actors are. Given a piece of text and even very, very early embryonic information, how quickly they grasp the nuance that really need to be pulled out and when they don't they ask questions and in terms of this magnificent cast and i'm going to name them by name champagne hughes kimberly ridgeway don wood three of the best human beings i've ever met three people who not only started their work early early in the process before the first rehearsal but who would inevitably take time on their own to work together or in pairs or in some combination to rehearse unofficially so when we arrived for rehearsal which I attended every day they were almost always already there they had scheduled amongst themselves a time and they were already rehearsing Mm. they were so prepared it was like walking into something that had been on the move and had never stopped since the last time. And I had no idea of the dedication that I'd be witnessing in this process. So I love these three actors for their persons, for their acting, for their intelligence, and for their willingness to be flexible and to go with or change on a dime all the characteristics that you could dream of for a cast and of course in terms of directors gary worked with these actors in a way that was illuminating also for me that was to understand their strengths to speak to and play to their strengths to make them extremely involved in the process rather than being dictatorial and the nexus of all of this work on everybody's part was that It was seamless. Everybody understood what the other was saying or asking or trying to convey. And I think that must be the most important thing in the process of rehearsal.
0: It's certainly shown in the performances. We have a question from Denise, who said she saw and enjoyed the play enormously. Denise says, the quandary your play describes is one I have faced many times and failed to satisfactorily resolve. I wonder what fueled your interest in the issue, great art created by a monster, and whether you feel you've reached an understanding about how to deal with it when you meet it on the road, so to speak. And she says, thanks for your play and your response.
1: Oh, that's lovely, Denise. Thanks so much. And it's an excellent question. And I have been asked that several times. And I won't lie, my answer changes. And I think that's because my feelings about the question change mercurially with what i encounter which i suppose boils down to my not being sure that i have an answer i certainly don't have an answer for every circumstance there are things about which i am adamant and persons whom I won't support, organizations which I won't support because of their behavior or whom they back or their abuses, and it's incontestable for me, but there are also situations in which I am deeply torn between love of an object or a piece of art, a piece of music or a film or an organization or something that's been part of my life for a long time. And there is a part of me absolutely that is loath to give that up. I then need to question, not in an abstract way, because that doesn't work for me, but in a concrete way, can I look at this again, own this again, watch this again and feel the same way about it? Or is my experience going to be colored by what I know about behind the scenes? I wish that I had the moral fortitude and the moral fiber to say under no circumstances once I hear definitively and have proven to my satisfaction someone's behavior is reprehensible I will boycott that person or place or thing. Hmm. But it simply has not turned out to be that way. I think that trying to impose those caveats on oneself in the abstract must be extremely difficult. I fear that it might cause rigidity, but on the other hand, what is a moral stance if it's not rigid? We are only as good as what we believe. And if we believe in the moral right, and we've ascertained that a right has not been met, then is it incumbent on us to make a stand, make a decision, irrespective of circumstance. I just don't know the answer to that. And Denise asked for the play's resolution. I did not resolve it to my satisfaction. I don't think it is resolvable. And so if the audience walks away wondering the same things I've just spoken about, if they walk away talking about it, either because they feel adamantly that they would or wouldn't have done something or because they don't know. Either way, if they're talking and thinking about it, we've done our job. It was really delightful to learn from quite a few theatergoers that when they had come in a group or in a pair, that on their drive home, they'd had very excited and fervent conversations about the topic and that warms my heart. That's what it should be all about.
0: I saw it twice. And both times we engaged in heated conversations afterwards. So thank you for that.
1: Sure, and you asked me, Patricia, also what fueled, or Denise asked, what fueled my interest in the issue, Mm -hmm. Great Art, Monster Creator. Well, it was spring of 2019, and a lot of things were being shone a light on. They'd been there all the time. We were becoming inundated with stories of abuse. Me Too feels like a long time ago now, but it was very much in play. Discoveries about Harvey Weinstein, R. Kelly, Roman Polanski, Michael Jackson was very much in our thinking. So there were all too many examples of current artists and celebrities and people of authority who had been abusive or were purported to have been abusive, which goes back to what is credible and what is not. My tendency is to believe unless proven otherwise, which may not be the innocent until proven guilty, but as long as I don't act on it and I don't condemn, I can choose to take a stand that says, I'm going to assume that the person doing the finger pointing is telling the truth until I learn otherwise. And so I'm going to be vigilant.
0: Yeah so let me just wrap up with a couple of questions i'm interested in some playwrights that you enjoy past or present hopefully who have not been abusers
1: (laughs) (laughs) well (laughs) funny you should say that i when i think of this and of course the list is very long but Mm when i think of those whom I might mention right now, I have not done my research on each of these people. Therefore, I'm going to answer entirely from the perspective of art. Mm-hmm. Some of them go back, people like Christopher Fry and Robert Bolt, for the sheer gorgeousness of their language. I go back to them over and over again when I just want to fill my brain with beautiful language. Lillian Hellman, dated as that may sound, and troubled as she has been, I think can nail a storyline with acerbic, witty, nasty dialogue that really cuts to the chase. Moises Kaufman, especially for The Three Trials of Oscar Wilde, Lynn Nottage, and as often ends this question, the list goes on.
0: And finally, let me ask you, Nicole, are you working on something now? I know we're in such a difficult and turbulent time right now. Between the challenges of the pandemic and the fierce desire to affirm that Black Lives Matter and to take a deep look at the racism in our society, where do we go from here? Are you writing? Or are you percolating? What is, what's <laughs> up with your creative process?
1: I'm percolating both coffee and plays <laughs> and poetry and essays. And as I mentioned earlier, it is, and as you just mentioned, it is a fraught time. It's a time in which I don't feel I can respond quickly. I f- worry that it would be a veneer rather than ingrained I'm going to aim for the chopping block, not the wood. Mm. That's from Annie Dillard, Tinker at Pilgrim Creek. When you want to chop wood, don't aim for the log, aim for the chopping block. You mm. need to go all the way through and that'll see you through. And that's pretty much how I feel right now. It's watch, listen, wait, and resolve.
0: Wonderful. Well, it has just been a delight speaking with you, Nicole.
1: Oh, you too, Patricia. Thanks so much for talking.
0: Thank you. This has been the inaugural podcast of the Central Works Script Club. Thanks for joining us. Every month, we'll provide a selected script for you to read and invite you to send in your questions and comments. Then I interview the playwright about the script and the production. Be sure to check out our website, centralworks.org, and select news and updates from the homepage. July 2020 script will be announced soon. For Central Works, I'm Patricia Milton.